Why don't you stand and welcome Chris as he comes to share this morning. Hi, good morning, good morning. You may be seated. Wow, those lights are bright. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a tan while I preach. Everybody good this morning? Man, he sung some notes there that I would not consider going to try. Catherine just says, do you sing? And I'm like, well, my wife said I've got a great voice. It's just got a rough passage out. <laughs> Everybody happy this morning? Yeah, three of you. Awesome. I'll work on the rest because uh, we'll just start off with this. Joy is actually an inside job. So if you're not happy, just change the way you think. It actually, it actually starts inside. If we, if we allow external circumstances to, to, to determine our joy, you're going to lead a roller coaster life. Regardless of what happens on the outside, it doesn't change what's happening on the inside. And I stay in that place of joy. So, amen. All right, I want to jump right in. We've got like a, just on an hour. Um, I, I'm going to do a, just a little recap on you. So how many of you are not here yesterday? Oh, where were you? <laughs> so I'm going to just do like a, a three-minute recap. Um, I spoke a lot about that we're not... Uh, I spoke about the identity of the believer. I spoke that we're no longer sinners saved by grace. And that the term sinners saved by grace is not actually biblical. It's nowhere in Scripture. There's only one place that it kind of references it. And it's in James. And it says, uh, to those that are double-minded. And uh, so we spoke about that. We spoke about... Uh, living, living forgiven. And I uh, spoke out of uh, Luke 5.17 where it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them, but yet only one, only one got healed. And the Pharisees missed it because they began to reason within themselves. And so really living in that place of, of living forgiven. Um, we spoke, what else did we speak about? Did we speak about freedom? I think we spoke on freedom. Uh, Galatians 5.1, Jesus didn't come to set you free to heal the sick. He came to set you free for freedom's sake, but it's free people that actually have the most impact in life. It's free people that live free, and it's free people that will plant churches. It's free people. Obviously, I love seeing the sick healed, and love seeing churches planted, and love seeing people one to the Lord. But if we're not actually living from that place of freedom, we end up doing those things for validation. And uh, so, the greater freedom I get within me. Uh, then the more the more impact that I have on on a nation, amen. So that was some of the stuff that we spoke on, and I, I want to I, I just want to share. Uh, there's a couple things. I've got a bunch of thoughts in my head. I woke up with a bunch of thoughts spinning around in my head, and there's a couple things I do want to touch on this morning. I I want to touch on um, really having compassion for people, and I, I really think that uh, the the uh, the healing ministry. It, uh, you know, if you want to see breakthrough in people and see people healed, is that I, I do it, I, I want to see people healed, not so I can say that I got another miracle. You know, if you're getting people healed to say that, well, I just saw a miracle, you're hitting, you're hitting for a shipwreck. And I, as much as I love, as much as I love healings, it's actually miracles and healings. As much as I love that stuff, it's actually only a sign that points to a greater reality. You don't exit out through the door. You don't exit through the exit sign. You exit through the door. But the exit sign points to a greater reality. And it's just in the same way as that the, the miracles and healings are just a sign 
that points to a greater reality. But I want to talk to you just for a couple of minutes on really having a compassion for people. And the only way that I can actually have a compassion for people is by seeing them out of the eyes of Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. I'm going to talk tonight, I think I'm going to talk tonight on uh, the secret to operating in great faith. I mean, I just love to see the church operating in the abundance of faith. And I think, I think I've discovered a beautiful little secret to it. So I think we're going to talk about that tonight. But, but learning to see people the way that God sees them. It is not sympathy that sees the person healed, it's compassion. Sympathy will lock the person in the problem, compassion will pull them out. And, and the difference, someone said to me a few years ago, what's the difference? How do, you, how do you know the difference between sympathy and compassion? And I think that the difference is this, is when the awareness of the answer becomes greater than the awareness of the problem. If you have a greater awareness of the problem than the answer, you're actually operating in sympathy rather than compassion. And it says, in, it says in Psalm 34, it says, come magnify the Lord with me. And so I find that a very fascinating verse because to magnify something means to make something bigger than it already is. Like as kids, we used to get a magnifying glass and put it on ants. You know, we'd not only make them big, but we'd fry them as well. <laughs> we'd blow those ants up and make them so much, so much bigger. And this is the psalmist here. The psalmist is telling us to magnify God. The psalmist is actually telling us to make God bigger than he actually is. See, the psalmist is actually telling us to do something that's impossible to do. Because we can't actually make God any bigger than he already is. So therefore, if we can't make God any bigger than he already is, then we are the ones that have to change our perspective of how big God is. And if we don't change our perspective of how big God is, see, you, you we, we will either exalt the problem or we will exalt the answer. And exalting the problem is not bringing an answer to the problem. It's exalting, it's exalting the answer and being more aware of the one that lives in you. Being more aware of the, the magnitude of God, of how, God, how big God is. Because it's very easy to fall prey to exalting the problem. I, I go into many cities. I've been to hundreds of cities over uh, 20 years of ministry. Many, many cities. Hundreds of cities and Many, many countries. And, and, and often a pastor will pick me up at the airport. And, and I, I, remember, I remember one pastor in particular. He, he picked me up in the airport and we're driving home. And he goes, I want to take you down the worst street in our city. I'm like, all right. He goes, it's where the prostitutes are. I'm going to take you to the red light district. And, and he says, I'm going to, I don't know why they, I mean, I have, I've had a number of pastors that want to show me the red light district. <laughs> And so they drive me through the red light district and he goes, you know, before we pull into this corner, I just want to tell you something. This is a dark, dark place. This is really dark. This is a very dark, dark city. And I want you to embrace yourself because you're going to experience the darkness when we come around this corner. See, darkness is not the problem to our city. Darkness is no problem to any city. See, because darkness actually means the absence of light. And Jesus said when he was on the earth, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, now you are, go do something with it. 
And I think that we, as a body, we've got so impressed with the darkness that we wonder why we don't see fruit. We don't see fruit because we've become and we're exalting the darkness where darkness is not the problem. I've been in many prayer meetings over my life and church prayer meetings and, you know, we gather the church and, and I know that, you know, if we came into a building with mixed people from, you know, multiple denominations and we said, we're just going to, we're going to pray for our city, go ahead and pray. I know that some people would probably, you know, run to that corner, we had prayer stations, you know, and we could call that corner the, you know, the, the fasting, you know, the fasting people. You know, they're going to go to that corner and they're going to fast for half an hour while they pray for the city. And, you know, it's like, we're not going to eat again until we see breakthrough, you know. And it's not a knock on fasting. I think it's an important part of the Christian life. I just hate it. (laughs) My, My Bible actually says, in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. I'm just saying, like, when I need breakthrough, I'm going to eat me another lamb. <laughs> I'm going to cook me up a roast and I'm just going to feast my way into breakthrough. All right, so I'm sidetracking. <laughs> All right, so we can have the, we have the corner that, you know, the people that go to the, the fasting corner and then we have the, you know, we have the spiritual warfare corner and they're going over there and they're like, Christian Kung Fu. You know, like trying to beat the devil up with their spiritual warfare over here. And, and then we have the people that are just crying out and, and you know, and they're, you know, they're crying in the corner and they're just praying that, they're praying that God will come. But I, I, while I think that there's merits in all of those things, if we're in, a, if we're in the room and it's like, you know, it's just a really dark room in here and we're going to pray that the kingdom will come. We need the kingdom in our city because it's so dark. We'd all scamper off and do those things, but I just found an easier way. You just turn on the light switch. Because when we turn on the light switch, which we are the light of the world, he said, like I said, he said, when he was here, I am. When he left, he said, you are. That when we begin to be light to the world, then darkness is not the problem because darkness has no choice to leave when the believer shows up. And, and, we, and we will never live out of that. We will never live out of the reality of being the light of the world if we don't understand who we are. And most believers are walking around with false humility because they don't know who they are. And they go, oh, woe is me. You know, I'm just so, I'm so humble that I'm not worthy to be used. My friend, that is false humility and it is killing the church. It is absolutely killing the church. And so I have such a passion to, to, to love people, to love people well, to be compassion, that we would begin to see people that the way that God sees them, that we would begin to arise up. See, every, everywhere where Jesus did, sorry, everywhere he went, he did miracles, but he was love. And that if we would begin to be love to this world, that we would begin to love people and that we had compassion for people and we began to see them out of the eyes, out of the way that God sees them, we would begin to see fruit simply because of love. I'm going to show you a video in just a second. And it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I spoke for those that are not here yesterday, I spoke about... Uh, my book called The Perfect Gift, the video is actually in here. It's got some pretty cool technology. You can watch video teachings of uh, me teaching in there. And you've also, got, uh, you've also got this video in here. And the book's out there. And 
after the session, I'm, I'm going uh, I'm to sign, I think there's like 50 left, so I'm going to sign some books if you want this. But I have such a passion for, I have such a heart and a passion for special needs kids. And we're seeing breakthroughs. We had three breakthroughs this week with two children with autism. Got three reports, two from, um, where's your city? Brisbane. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> two from down north, north, right? Yes. Uh, two from north, and I had another one that I read out that um, I just got notified of yesterday, which had happened uh, 12 months ago in, in Dallas when I, when I met someone at the airport. So I, I want to play you this video because I want you to, if there's anything I can give you this morning, it would be that passion would begin to arise up within you, that you would begin to have passion for people, that you would begin to have a love for people, because if you don't have a love for people, the miracle becomes more about you than it does the love for them. And I tell you, people can smell, uh, they can smell when you're treating them as a project, as opposed to ministering to them as a person that God loves and a person that God has so much compassion over. Amen? Amen. So, yeah, just enjoy this video. It's just like three minutes. And Could you just turn the volume up a bit more, please?
Patterson, the book, it is the, it is the most watched video that Beth all has ever put out in their history. It had uh, one point, um, last time I checked, it was like 1.7 million views and it had thousands of shares and hundreds of comments. And, you know, it's interesting that, it's interesting, I, I mean, I took a lot of flack over that. And uh, so, you know, if you're a Pharisee, don't bother coming to talk to me about it after because I, I'm not open to criticism on it. And uh, people would come to me and say, well, that's not even real baptism. Um, because you didn't, because you didn't hold some of them right under, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm such a Pharisee. <laughs> I, if I had held some of them right under, they would have never have come back up because they had breathing difficulties, and, and the little one at the end, he had such fear of water in his eyes, and that's why, that's why he had the goggles on, and there were others that just had immense fear of water, and uh, that's why they didn't want to go all the way under. And I, I just believe that the Father is such a Father of compassion that He actually meets us where we're at. It's not about whether you did it exactly right. It's about Him meeting us where we're at in the simplicity of faith of these of these young children. The lady in the tank with me was uh, her name is Angela Locke, and uh, she interned with me about um, uh, maybe five years ago, and then she came on to be. Um, my assistant and she handled all of my travel and a ministry associate of mine and uh, she headed up the special needs ministry in Bethel under my direction and uh, we do special needs church on Sunday for special needs kids and two services on Sunday and uh, we just love these kids immensely. She's since moved on, she lives in Ohio now uh, but she helped me uh, compile this and, and she wrote uh, one of the, we teach into each story as well so that the testimonies are in there of the kids that were seen breakthrough in, and then uh, we, then I teach into each story with doctor's reports, and then she did one of the teachings into the story, and then the videos are at the back. So that is that is there. Okay, what I what I wanted to um, what I wanted to talk about this morning is actually really spinning, uh, really coming off that video. Is that uh, you know one of the greatest things that I actually. The, the, the intent of the book is really not just about autism. It's actually not even a healing book on autism. It's actually speaking life and it's speaking hope into not just families with uh, autistic situations going on, but it's speaking hope and life into families that have had long-term conditions, whether that be autism or whether that be cancer. I think that the same thing applies in that book of how we can how we can walk it, walk it out. And I see, I see many parents of, that I ministered to over, around the world that if, if the child did get a breakthrough and the child went back home, there's an environment in that home that's not conducive to a healing environment because mum and dad are so stressed out of what they're going through and what they've been through that I, I do wonder whether the child will be in a situation to be able to maintain the breakthrough and maintain the healing that they've got. And I, I want to speak a little bit this morning about, as believers, this is not just in the context of uh, special needs, but it's in the context of life, is that we need to be believers that walk in this place of not allowing external things to steal our joy. Not allowing external circumstances to steal our peace is that we become so centered in, in Christ and being aware of Him in us 
that nothing would steal our peace, that nothing would steal our joy, that we would actually walk in peace and we would stay in peace wherever we go. See, a believer, I'm of the firm conviction, I live with this very strong conviction that a believer that can stay in peace, regardless of the circumstances they face, actually has the ability to torment the devil. The devil, I think religion sold us a lie. Religions told us that the devil is the tormentor. The devil is not the tormentor. The believer is the tormentor. The believer that can stay in peace. And when we can stay in that place of peace, regardless of what we face, we become the tormentor and he becomes the tormented. He does not torment me. I torment him. And the way that we torment him is by staying in that place of peace, regardless of whatever we face. Our our internal reality must be greater than our external reality. You will never shift an external reality if that internal reality is not greater in you than it is externally. And we wonder why we don't see an external reality shift Because frankly, in many cases, we have a storm that's going on inside of us that we're so mixed up and so cut up inside that we have a storm brewing and we wonder why we don't see a shift because when Jesus lays hands on the sick, there's many occasions where he says, my peace I give unto you. See, we must be aware of that peace within us because you cannot give away what you do not know you have. If you don't know that you have that peace within you, you're not giving away peace. You're really giving away nothing because you've got nothing to give away. And in Mark, in Mark 5, 25, we, I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here before I really jump into what I want to jump into. It says that Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, he says, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. And be healed of your affliction. But the, it's not a quite... I mean, English is not God's first language. Neither is Australian. <laughs> New Zealanders. <laughs> Just Heretic. <laughs> yeah, he's closer to the land. <laughs> it says, go, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But if English is not God's first language and you actually break this down... I don't have time to completely break it down. It's in my book, which is not here. It's in my main book, which is uh, called Walking in Supernatural Healing Power, which you can get on wherever you buy books from. I don't know. Amazon, Quran, I, I don't know. It's, it's out there. But it actually, what it actually means is not go in peace, but go into peace. So perhaps the woman's issue, perhaps right there, Jesus is actually giving us a key to walking in divine health. And that key is, she wasn't in peace, and he says to her, go into peace, because the healing didn't take place when, she, when Jesus said, your faith has made your whole go into peace. She was already healed when she touched Jesus. So she's already healed, and then Jesus turns and he says, your faith has made you whole, go into peace and be healed of your affliction." So perhaps the key to staying in health and staying in walking in divine health is actually staying in peace and not partnering with the opposite spirit. 
If I am sick, I want to go to the doctor because I want to know what I've got so I can deal with that thing effectively. See, the doctor gives true uh, facts, but the God is not the spirit of fact. He's the spirit of truth. And we end up partnering with the wrong spirit because the doctor said, my friend, the great physician has a higher report. He doesn't bear witness with facts. He bears witness with truth. It doesn't matter. I'm, please don't. Next time you go to the doctor and the doctor says, my friend, you know, you've got, a, you've got a broken leg. You know, don't turn to the doctor and say, no, I don't. I don't have a broken leg. And you're walking out dragging your leg behind you. you just, I don't. I don't. No, that's called denial. The doctor's role is to give you facts. But Jesus is not the spirit of fact. He's the spirit of truth. You may have facts in your life, but what's the truth? The truth is he's the healer. See, I can't exalt the fact. I need to exalt the truth. And I, I need to, in all circumstances, we need to maintain that peace within us that we don't let the enemy steal something from us. But yet most believers I meet are so mixed up because there's a storm that's going on within them. Now, I, I know what that is like. I've had, I had many storms in my life. I have succumbed to many storms in my life. And it's not that the storms don't come, but the storms still come. But now I can just glide through the storm and not worry too much about... I've had like nine months of vicious storms around my life. You would not believe if you told me... What, if I told you what I've been through in the nine months, you'd probably be wondering like... How the heck are you still alive? <laughs> it's like, I do question myself on that sometimes. <laughs> well, I should rephrase that. How the heck are some people still alive and I didn't kill them? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know what it is to lose peace. I'm, I'm under the care of a, you know, I'm from New Zealand. If those that didn't, hadn't worked that out. I, I, I am very white if you do not see <laughs> I am extremely white and we have a very harsh sun. I, I notice it's quite harsh here as well. I mean, I got sunburned just outside for a few minutes yesterday. I'm like, oh man, it's, you're just, I, Reading is hotter, way hotter, but I could stand outside for 20 minutes and not affect me. I stand outside and for two minutes here and I'm burned. So I'm under the care of a dermatologist. And, I, and she's a lovely lady. She doesn't go to our, she doesn't go to our church. Uh, she came to my healing school a couple of years ago. She's in Reading. She came to my healing school. And I bumped into her at the, um, the shopping mall the following day. I was shopping with my daughter, who just loves to shop. She loves to shop, and I love to pay. <laughs> I'll rephrase that. She loves to shop, and she loves me to pay. <laughs> and so I was in the shopping mall, and she, she walks up to me, and she goes, Hey, I was at the healing school, and thank you so much. It just completely changed my paradigm on the way that I saw things. And she said, I just... Uh, you know, I, I'm the local dermatologist. I'm one of the dermatologists in town. And I, you know, I noticed that you're really white. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I'm like, yes. You know, well, that didn't make, take much discernment. <laughs> and she said, my office is, you can come and see me as a dermatologist whenever you like. I will never charge you as long as you live in Reading. Everything is for free. And I've been seeing her every two months for five years. And I go in and I see her and, you know, she examines me and she looks my back and she slips and burns and, you know, just preventative care and looking after me. And uh, she said, your job is to heal people. My job is to keep you whole. And uh, so she just looks after me. So I go into, I go into see her and, and uh, she says, you know, do you have any concerns? And I'm like, no, I'm pretty good. I think this week, you know, this month. And she goes and she zaps me and, you know, anything else bothering you? And I'm like, that is nothing. You know, I think I'm good. And she said... So then she looks through my hair and she rubs through my hair and it's like a little scalp massage. It's like, I love going to the hairdresser. I pay extra for that little head massage thing. <laughs> and, she, and she gets the magnifying glass and she comes up and she's, I'm like, well, doc, I've got, I got a little lump, I've got a little lump here in my eyebrow, like something, something's wrong. And she gets out the magnifying glass and she puts it on my, mag, um, puts it on my eye and she has a look and she goes, and I'm like, hey, doctor, like, what is it? I said, do I have a tumor? Do I have cancer? Like, I said, is this the beginning of the end? I, and she has a look and she goes, mm, yeah, I don't know. She said, I don't know what that is. She said, but what? Well, I want you to go home with this bottle of cream and I want you to put it on there three times a day for two weeks and I want you to be back two weeks today and then we're going to have another look. And I say to her, like, and if I come back and it's still there, what are you going to do? Right? I, I'm a thinker. Like I, I overanalyze <laughs> all the time. It's good, it's good and it's bad. Right? I'm always thinking about Jesus. I'm always thinking theology. I'm always just like, ah, oh, there's got to be more. You know, I'm really like, what does he really mean when he says that? And you know, I'm, that's the way that I kind of, the kind of way I live. So, so she says. I said, so what, what if, what if I come back and it's still there? What are you going to do? And she said, we're going to take a biopsy. And I'm like, could you tell me what that might look like? And she goes, well, we'll shave off one eyebrow, right? And immediately I'm thinking like, I'm a preacher. <laughs> like, I can't show up to preach with one eyebrow. Like, so I, so I come up, the answer was like, I'll just shave off the other one and no one will know. I mean, they're pretty fair anyway. You wouldn't know if I didn't have eyebrows, you know? And she said, and then we're going to cut a piece out and we'll send it off to the clinic. And, and then when the clinic comes back and if it says that it's cancerous, then you'll come in again. And then I will dig deeper to get, you know, a millimeter clearance or whatever. We'll just take out, we'll take out some more. So I go, okay, I'll see you in two weeks. Now, I, I had a terrible two weeks. I mean, I went out of that clinic and I'm like, I went immediately home. I pulled out my life insurance policy to make sure that I was paid up in case I died. I wanted to leave my wife with some money to bury me, you know. And then I thought, well, what if it is cancer? What if I'm going to die? What if this is the beginning to the end? You know, what if, what if, just what if it's already gone through to my eye? Like maybe I'm going to lose my eye. And then I had this rash thought. I thought maybe that's why I'm kind of strange. Because maybe it's already in my brain. Like, what if I actually get brain cancer and it's already gone and it's already, like, it's already, like, riveted through my body? What if, what if, what if I'm already full of cancer? And this is just, like, where it's showing and I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, I could really die. And I lived terribly for two weeks. I lived in so much fear. I partnered with the wrong spirit. So I go, I go back to the doctor 
And two weeks later, and I sit down and she loves to pray, right? She loves to pray for my family by name, by wife. She's like, she prays these long prayers. And I sit down and I am there for me. Right? And she goes, hello, Chris. And I'm like, hey, doc. She goes, let's just spend some time in prayer. Now, inside, I'm like, I don't want to pray. Just fix me. Tell me what I got. Like, I've been terrible for two weeks. Just tell me. Get this over with. Am I dying or am I going to live? You know, I didn't say that to her, but that's, what, that's what's going on inside. And I, I sit down and she goes, oh, this morning, let's pray for your wife. And inside, I'm thinking, this is not about her. This is about me. You know, she prays this long prayer for my wife. And she goes, what's your daughter that lives in Nevada? I'm like, that's so Let's pray for her. And I'm like. She prays for my daughters by name, and she prays these long prayers, and I'm and I try to kind of, uh, you know, you, you know when you, the prayer goes on too long, and you try to interject, Amen. <laughs> you try to bring it to the end, you know, like, Amen, and she and I pray, Amen, Amen. You know, and she just keeps praying, and and we finish, and she goes, Okay, I'm like, Okay, Doc, I said, So, so what, what's the story? What's the story? Right? What's going on? She gets her magnifying glass out and she puts it on my eye and she's looking through my eyebrow and she goes, hmm, hmm. And I'm like, hmm, what? I said, am I, is it cancer? Am I going to die? And she goes, it's what I thought it was. And I'm like, what did you think it is? And she goes, you've got dandruff. She said, all that you need is a change of shampoo and you're good to go. She goes, here's some trial shampoo. Take this home. Should never bother you again. And it's like, and it doesn't bother me again. I just needed a change. I needed a $10 bottle of, it's actually a $40 bottle of shampoo as opposed to a $3 bottle of shampoo. It's like, I'm good. And I walked out of that place feeling so stupid because I partnered with fear and I realized that I allowed the enemy to rip me to pieces and to steal my joy and to steal my peace. See, peace is, peace, let me just say this, peace is not the absence of something. Sometimes I think when we think about peace, we think it's the absence of something like laying on the beach in Hawaii with our feet up around the campfire singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. It's like, oh, we're at peace, we're at peace. No, that's not peace. That's the peace the world gives, but that's not the peace that God gives. See, peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. It's been so aware of the spirit of truth that lives in me. It's been so aware of the union that we have with God that it's like regardless of what comes my way, nothing, nothing is going to steal my joy Nothing is going to steal my peace. You guys doing okay? I, I tell you, the more that we become aware of the peace that we have with God, the more aware of the, that we become aware of the union with God, the more aware that we become that the inner reality becomes greater than the external reality, the more that we'll actually see through us. I, 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 please, I want us to get this this morning. I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well. Because we're here, we want to know how, they, how to heal the sick. I don't teach, I don't teach principles. I'm teaching, I want to teach about the prince. I want to teach about identity. 
that we become so aware of the one that lives in us. I tell you, the more aware that you become of the one that lives in you, more will happen through you by accident than what you tried to do. Jesus didn't intentionally heal the woman with the issue of blood. I call that an accidental healing. He's just going about a business and you know, the woman comes up, grabs the hem of his garment, and he's like, who touched me? I felt healing virtue. He wasn't walking around like, <sighs> like I'm going to find someone to heal today. You know, like, He's just going about crossing cities to get some, fried, some baked lamb, lamb roast, or <laughs> whatever it is. He's just going about his business, and, and, she, gets, and she gets healed. I, I, went, I go to Japan every year. I go to Tokyo. I love Japan. I love the Japanese people. I have such a, have such a heart for the Japanese people. They're some of the, the kindest, kindest people I've met on the face of the earth. They're just so sweet and honoring and they're not pushy. And I mean, they're just lovely, lovely people. So I go to Japan every year. And uh, I, I've, I was just the tail. My shirt's falling off. then you'll see my white body (laughs) so i go i go to japan every year and and i've been on this it's a great church there there i've been on this this journey of like a really large church in japan is like 30 40 people i mean they don't have big churches you know it's always known as the graveyard for missionaries it's like well that's a lie Right, it's just a lie. We've got to change the way that we see things. So I just I go to Japan, and this church is growing and growing and growing. It's uh, the the pastor's a self-made billionaire. He just bought the entire property in the central financial district of Tokyo. Built the church. Had the number one architect that designed the architect for the World Holocaust Museum in Israel fly in to design his church. I mean, he just paid for it all himself. He's got this. Beautiful, beautiful churches. I don't know that I've ever seen an architectural design of a church. It's actually an arrowhead. So when you're preaching with the translator beside you, you're almost wall to wall, right? And that's prophetic that it's, you know, like they're a spare to the city. And I mean, it's just, there's so much thought that's gone into it. So, so the pastor says to me one night, he goes, I'm going to take you to dinner tonight. I've got a special treat for you. He says, I know you like steak and so I'm gonna, I've got a real special treat. He says, jump in my car. And we jump in this brand new Mercedes. And he drives me across. He drives me across town, across Tokyo. And he pulls up. He didn't tell me where I was going. But as soon as I got to the restaurant, I saw the name of the restaurant. It was Kobe. Uh, Kobe Restaurant. And if you don't know what Kobe Restaurant is, it's, the, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a very, very high quality steak. Right? I mean, it's so, my steak alone was 700 US dollars from a 100 gram steak. Right? It's right. It wasn't church money. It was his money. You don't get upset. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just like, this is just revival on a plate. I mean, I was about to stand and sing in grace. You know, I'm like, this is just awesome, you know. And he orders me a 200 gram steak. And uh, so the, the, the steak, the, wait, the waiter comes in with the steak on the plate, and I'm just like, man, I've just always dreamt of having a genuine Kobe steak. If you don't know what, how the, how they, why it's so expensive, read up on it. I'm not going to tell you because you get upset. <laughs> they massage the cows. They play the music. They feed them vodka. They just keep them slightly intoxicated so they can't run around and get muscle. They get fat. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful steak. And uh, so, 
So the, wa- the waiter walks in, and, and the waiter puts my steak on the plate, and I hear, on, my, on my plate, and I hear the Lord say, would you ask him to join you in the giving thanks for the food? Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not much of an evangelist, right? It's not my primary office, right? I don't have an office. So I'm just going to be a friend of Jesus, incidentally. Right, so so he so he says, uh, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not like that. I'm not out on the streets hunting for people to heal. You know, it's like when they come across my path and when things are highlighted, and you know, I'll, I'll step out and do it. So I've got no fear of that. I'll do it. So I I reach out and I hear. So the Lord says, Would you would you join? Would you ask Him to give you thanks for the food? Join you and give Him thanks for the food. Right? I'm going to be obedient, and I. But I get it all, I'm so excited about my steak, I get it all around the wrong way. Right? So I reach up and I, and I just hold, I just reach and I hold his hand. And I'm holding his hand and he looks at me like, is that what you white people do? You know, I'm holding his hand and then I'm like, oh, sorry, I said, uh, I just wondered if you'd join us in the giving thanks for food. And he goes, okay, so we all hold hands, there's four of us at the table, including him. We hold hands and I'm like, Father, thank you for the food. Thank you for the cow that gave us life. I said, Father, thank you for this restaurant. May your blessing just be upon this restaurant and upon my new friend here as the waiter. That May you just bless him immensely. Right? And my hand starts like, I can feel like a, you know, like a fish on the end of the fishing line. He's like, <laughs> right? And I have my eyes closed and I open my eyes and he's jerking back and forth, right? It's like, He's shaking. He begins to vibrate. He's violently shaking. He drops to his knees and he falls under the table and he starts crying out loud. And he's like, he's like a fish out of water. He's <laughs> on the ground. And he is wailing. Like wailing intense. I'm super embarrassed for him, right? I'm thinking, this is a high-class restaurant. He's going to lose his job, you know? Like, so, so, so I look at the pastor... And I'm like, you know, I, I couldn't talk because, you know, I'm in the middle of grace, you know. And I'm like, I look at him as to say, is this normal in Japan? You know, like, and his eyes are like. <laughs> so I just finished grace and I didn't know what to do. So I, I just pat him on the back and I'm like, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> in other words, I was kind of saying... Go away, I want to eat my steak. I was really embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. It's like, oh my word, like I never had this happen before. See, I'm talking about being aware of the inner reality of what lives in you. I wasn't trying to whack him. You know, I wasn't trying to zap him. I'm just saying, Grace, I'm more interested in eating my steak. But more will happen through you by accident. When you become so aware and you become so aware and possessed of the one that lives in you. So he walks out, right? He gets up off the floor and he cries as he walks away. He's wailing. And he walks out and I turn to the pastor and I'm like, what the heck was that about? I said, more so, what do we do now? What do I do when he comes back? And he goes, I I don't know. And we couldn't come up with a plan, and he walks back in. Right? And he looks at me like, my friend looks at me. He's like, as to say, you did it, you fix it. 
So he, so um, so I look at him and I'm like, hey, my friend. I said, is there something I can pray for you for? Not very, not very profound, was it? Like, you know, can I pray for you? And he, and he bursts into tears again and he goes, yes, you can. And I'm like, okay, how can I pray? And he starts wailing. All as my wife and I have ever wanted is to have a baby. That's all we've ever wanted and she can't conceive. Would you pray for that? And I'm like, of course. And he comes around and I pray and he starts shaking and he starts wailing. He's on his knees and he's like, he's just wailing out loud. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I said, baby, it's God's idea. And we finished the prayer and I'm like, unless you believe in the Immaculate Conception, I don't know why you're here. I said, go home and do something. Faith needs an action. <laughs> he walks me to the front door. Right? This is Japan. Japanese people are not really like this. He walks me to the Japanese, uh, to the door and he goes, would you just hug me? And I'm like, of course I can give you a hug. And, I start, and he starts wailing again. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That was March. I go back in February. Just a few weeks back. Just this February. I go back. He's got a baby. Yeah. He came to church because I Facebooked him and said, I bought you a present. I was in Austria the week before. I said, I bought you a present. Come to, I want to give you, give you the present. Where can I meet you? And he goes... Well, are you, are you at church again? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to come and find that church. He walks into the church, sees me, bursts into tears and starts wailing. <laughs> I sit him on the front row. I'm like, you're my guest. Up here, right up here with me on the front row. And he sits on the front row and I talk about having compassion for people. And I talked about how I bought my friend. I told them they all knew the story and I'm like... You all know the story about the Japanese man that got pregnant with the, <laughs> the wife. That'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> about the wife that got pregnant. And I said, and I bought him a present. And I, and I said, my friend's here today and he stands up. I gave him the present and he unwraps it. It was a puffer jacket, like a baby puffer jacket with no arms. It was like real small. It's like super cute. And he's, he stands up and he's like showing everybody. He's the first one that gives his life to Jesus that morning. See, what reality are you aware of? See, are you, aware, are you aware of the reality of the peace of God that already lives in you? Or are you trying to get at peace with God? And most believers that I meet, they are trying to find peace with God. They are trying to pursue peace with God. It's like, I need peace my friend, we are like a cat that is chasing his tail that will never get it because you already have it. And we wonder why we don't see breakthrough in our lives around us because we are not aware of the internal reality of the peace of heaven within us. And it is that peace that will see breakthrough. You know, that morning of the Japanese night, of the steakhouse night. That morning I take a taxi to church. And I'm on the way to the conference. And the traffic is Tokyo. If you've ever driven in Tokyo. The, the traffic can be crazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Could you undo that? 
just shout, baptize myself. <laughs> so I take a taxi to church, and, uh, and I, the traffic's super busy, so the pastor and I, we jump out, we're just like, we'll walk the last, we'll walk the last, it was like half a kilometer, we'll just walk it. And I, 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 I'm a coffee snob, thank you. I'm a coffee snob, and there's some places I won't drink coffee. I'm not going to tell you what chain it is, but it's green. I, I'm like, I'm, an, I'm proud to admit I'm a coffee snob. I mean, I just make most of my own at home. I travel generally with my own espresso maker, so I can make my own my hotel. A little case that I carry it in, and just like put it in its own little suitcase and take my little, <laughs> right? So, but I, I don't want, I don't want coffee. I want food. I was really hungry, so I passed the green shop, and I, and I, I want to see if there's any food, right? I want the coffee because I hate it, right? I want the food, so I, I go to look in the window, and I can't see because it's a reflective glass. Right? I'm just trying to see if there's food on the shelf, reflective glass. So, I walk right up to the glass and I go like this. And I'm looking right into the eyes of a woman. <laughs> that close, right? And I'm like, oh! Right? And I'm feeling super embarrassed. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature, and I'm just like, whoa! And I turn to the pastor, and I'm like, there's a woman on the other side. Like, and he goes, yeah? And I'm like, no, like, eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> and she's white. She's not Japanese, lady. She's white. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm pastor, I'm so embarrassed. I would hate her to think I'm checking her out. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm going to go in there and fix it. And he goes, okay. So I walk in and I walk up behind her. It's like she's on like the bar stools on the front window. I walk in behind her and I, I, I go, excuse me, ma'am. And she turns around and she looks at me and she goes, Oh, hello. Yes, Chris Gore. And I'm like, now I'm really embarrassed. Because she doesn't think I'm just checking her out. She knows who's checking her out. Right? I'm really embarrassed. And I'm like, oh, uh, I said, I, um, I, do you know me? And she goes, well, yes. She said, I'm a New Zealander that lives in Australia. And I'm here on a skiing holiday. But my brother broke his foot, so I'm just hanging out here in the coffee shop until we've got the clearance to go home, and I'm just drinking coffee, and you walk in, and I'm like, oh, I said, hey, I, I, I wasn't, I, I just, I, I wasn't checking you out. Like, I was trying to look at the food. And she laughs, and she goes, will you pray for me? I'm like, okay. And she goes, uh, I can't get pregnant. I, I want to have babies. I just, I just keep miscarrying one after the other. Would you pray? Ah, oh, yeah. I said, baby's God's idea. It's going to be okay. Living out of the internal reality. See, what reality are you aware of? How much are you aware of the peace of God that lives in you that you actually have something to give or do you have a storm going inside you? I'm not telling her all this. I'm just telling right? And I leave. Do you know, I, I've lost count of the ladies that have gone on to conceive. I got baby photos get emailed to me all the time. I stopped counting 
the ladies that had either messed up cycles that got healed or unable to conceive. I stopped counting at 350. I meet little kids all over the world. My wife said, man, you're getting really good at getting other ladies pregnant. I'm like, I promise I didn't touch them. See, it's the awareness of the one that lives in you. See, that you, can, you have the ability to release peace into the storm. You guys going okay? I'm doing my best to try and finish this in 10 minutes. It's just, I just believe in the impossible. Hmm. See, Jesus in Mark 4.37, we see a great windstorm arose and the waves are beating into the boat. The boat's already filling. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep. He's got his blankie up and he's got his little pillow out and he's fast asleep in the boat. And the disciples, they start freaking out and they start yelling at each other. I'm kind of reading a little bit between the lines. They're like, Peter, did you bring the life jackets? It's like, I told you to. It's like, we're going to die. Like, look at this storm. And he doesn't even care. Look, he's asleep. See, the disciples lose their peace. But Jesus doesn't. And they go, wake him up. And they, they go up to Jesus and they're like, wake up. Wake up. We're going to die. We're going to die. See, Jesus doesn't stand up and he goes, oh my God. We're going to die. Like, where's my life jacket? I, I might have been able to do something if you woke me up 30 minutes earlier. But it's past that point. It's like, down we go. I hope we're all right with the Lord. He stands up and he turns to the storm. And the Bible tells us that he rebukes the storm. And he says, peace. But if English is not God's first language, then what did he actually say? If the word's not peace, we'll come back to that. See, as believers, we will only have authority in the storm, in the storm that you can learn to sleep in. And it's not that the storms don't come. They come. I'm getting more and more storms daily that come crashing into my life. But it's just like, ah, it's just another storm. I'll deal with that tomorrow. That one can wait a week. It's like, ah, peace. Because when I can learn to sleep in the storm, then it's in that place that we as believers have authority over that storm. You will not have authority in the storm if you can't pull up your blanket and pull out your pillow and just go to sleep. See, what about, what about peace and provision? You know, we get, it's like financial times come and things get tired and it's like, ah, ah, ah. I'm losing my peace. It's like, I don't know, I'm going to pay the bills this week. Please, please, please don't. Like, yes, of course I have financial storms. I, I, by the way, incidentally, my, my book, this, this book here, please don't think I get rich off that. I take nothing from this. At all, all of my proceeds that come into this go to hungry kids. A whole lot. Mine. My kids, their, their college bill is $100,000 a year. They take all my proceeds. I, I've said to them, you can have the whole lot. 
until you've graduated college, everything I ever sell is all yours. So it's not that the storms don't come. It's not that we don't have financial concerns or financial pressures. But we see that in the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples lose it again. Oh, how are we going to feed them? Jesus didn't go, ha, ha, why didn't you plan better? Why didn't you have another whiteboard strategic session before we came here? I'm obviously not against being strategic. He says, just bring the... We've got a boy here that's got a fish and some loaves. Bring to me. And he multiplies it. He never lost his peace. What about when the disciples lose their peace because they didn't have money for the temple tax? Jesus is just like, just catch that fish. You'll find a gold coin in his mouth. See, perhaps the answer to seeing lights, the, perhaps the answer to seeing answers in our life is being aware of the peace of heaven that's already in us. But yet we partner with the wrong spirit and we wonder why we don't see anything happen. See, what about, what about having personal inner peace? I tell you, I, I have a huge passion to see mental illness come down. I do. I've got one of my old interns has started a ministry in Newcastle and it's called, um, Path, I think it's called Path to Wellness. He's just received, what do you call it here? Charitable status? Charitable? Yeah. One, it, the whole thing went through in six weeks from start to finish. Apparently that's quite a miracle for your tax department. I mean, it just flew through. And his passion is to see wholeness come into mental health. I want to see wholeness come into mental health, but it's got to start by the church. Stop pursuing peace and recognize you've already got it. Otherwise, we're going round and round circles, like cat chasing his tail. It's like, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. It's like, I think Jesus, didn't Jesus say, don't don't worry about tomorrow? Don't worry about the things you've got. I tell you, I'm learning to live in this place where the storms come and it's like, yeah, that story ain't going to steal my joy. I'm not going to let that steal my peace. It's like, I, I, I'm doing okay and I'm getting, I'm getting better and better. See, what about internal peace? Having the reality of the peace within us. We've already got it. Philippians 4, 7. Romans 12. It says we already have peace. See, you can't tell me that the disciples... We're looking at Jesus and they're like, how the heck did he do that miracle? Why could he sleep in the boat when we lost it? And I think the answer is in John 14, 27. And Jesus gives them the answer and it says this. I'm trying to go fast. It says, he says this. He goes, they've gone to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, like, You lose it. We lost it. You didn't. And this is what he says. He says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your heart be afraid. Let, sorry, let not, your, let not your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. Right? But if English is not God's first language, then I wonder what it actually says. And this is what it actually says. Peace means shalom. The word shalom 
is symbolized in ancient Hebrew by symbols. And if you take each one of those symbols and break the symbol down, it actually means this. It means the spirit that destroys chaos. Right? Or another meaning, it could be read another way, the spirit that destroys false authority. Right? The spirit that destroys chaos. We're on word one. Peace. The spirit. Shalom. The spirit that destroys chaos. He goes, I leave to you. Leave means bequest. Bequest is a, it's kind of an English word, but it's a very, very old word. It actually means it's greater than inheritance. He says, so what he's actually saying is, you know, you know that, you know when you saw me feed the 5,000? You know when you saw me take the fish out of the coin's mouth? You know when you saw me calm the storm? That's because I've got the spirit that destroys chaos living in me. And he says, and I bequest it to you. Go do something with it. He says, it's now yours. It's your inheritance. Go do something with it. I tell you, it's a powerful, powerful verse. So I I get this revelation. I'm sorry, we get it. And I'm like, we are like, I'm, I'm just pondering one day and I'm like, if, if the spirit that destroys chaos wasn't bequested to us, then I need to start living out of that place, not letting anything steal my joy, not letting anything steal my peace, and then I have this thought. What if? I'm praying for children with autism way too hard because I think it's my prayer that heals them. So I just begin to walk up to them and I just minister. This is how I minister. My peace I give unto you. You're not going to give peace away if you don't know you're at peace with God. My peace I give unto you. I go to San Diego and this, and this couple comes to church and the pastor comes to me and says, there's a couple outside and they won't come in. They've got a son with autism and he won't come in. They won't come into the church because they don't like the charismatic church. And they said that they don't like you. They're kind of scared of you. And I'm like, well, I'll come out. I went outside and I sit on the curb. And I'm like, hey, buddy. I said, what's your name? And he tells me, and I'm like, can we be friends? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, I love you. And he goes, love you too. And his mum starts crying and says, he's never told me that. He never says to anybody that he loves anybody. I tell you, children are attracted to peace. Children are attracted to the presence. Children are attracted to the Father. And I'm like, can I pray for you? And he goes, yes. And I'm like, but is it okay that I put my hand on your head? And he goes, okay. His mum starts crying. She goes, he won't let anybody touch his head. And I'm like, oh, really? And she's crying. She, he won't let anyone touch his head. And I'm like, My peace, my peace are given to you. I said, you're going to be okay. 
And I just release the shalom in heaven over this young man right now. And I'm, can I have a hug? And he goes, yeah. And he hugs me and mum's like, he don't hug, he doesn't hug people. And I'm like, Did you know that he went from a special needs class to a mainstream top of the class in three weeks? Right? So this is like six years ago. I forget about the story, but last summer I go to San Diego in another part of San Diego, like 45 minutes drive away. And while I'm preaching, I remember the story. And I share the story. I hadn't shared it for like, yes, I share the story. And I come down off the platform and this tall man walks up to me, a tall young man. He walks up to me at the end of the service and he goes, hello, Pastor Chris. And I'm like, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And he goes, hey, I really enjoyed the story about the boy in San Diego that you ministered to that had autism. And I'm like, yeah, it was pretty cool. And he goes, did you know that was me? And I start crying. I'm like, you're kidding me. And he goes, that's me. And I just wanted to thank you for that day that you took that time that you came and ministered to me. He goes, I love you. I thank you for ministering. I got a different life now. I've been brought into wholeness. And he said, I'm just leading a great life. And we have a photo together and I'm crying and he's crying and we're cuddling each other. And we just, he, he became my friend. See, we've seen nearly 70 kids now receive breakthrough and it's not some profound prayer of rebuking some devil out of them. Maybe that's what we're not seeing. That's, maybe that's why we're not seeing breakthrough because we're trying to rebuke a devil out of them and they don't have a devil. They've just got a broken brain. And we try to do Christian gymnastics to get them healed because we think it's our smart and polished prayer to get someone healed. It's not. It's us being aware of the reality of the peace of heaven that lives in us. I'm going to close in just a minute. So, uh, man, I feel under pressure. Okay, thanks. You'll be here to three. No, just, I just want a few more minutes. So I, I, go, I, I, we go, I go to England. I am severely, severely jet lagged. I hardly suffer jet lag these days. I've been healed. Yay, God. <laughs> and I, like I'm flying a lot and I've been in like, I, don't, I think I've been in six countries this year. I've been to Europe three times this year already. I've been to Japan. I've been to Australia. I'm going home to turn around to go to Malaysia, to come back, to go back to Malaysia. It's like I'm going back to Japan this year again. It's like I've got to go to Spain. I've got to go to Switzerland this year. And it's all over the place. I hardly suffer jet lag. But I was severely jet-lagged. And we had this amazing healing night at this conference in a city called Reading. Not Reading, California. Reading, Reading United Kingdom, out of London. And I, I am really tired. I've been up for like over 48 hours straight. Right? And it's not healthy. I mean, I was feeling like, oh, man. And I said to myself, it's like, my peace has gone to the hotel. Like, I was beginning to feel mentally disturbed, you know, because when you get the, that fatigued, I'm like, man, I've got to go to bed, like, right now. So I look for my driver, and I can't find him. And through the crowd, I see a lady coming towards me that I knew she had some problems. And I'm like, this is my internal process. Like, God, I don't want to deal with her tonight. Where's my driver? Can't find him. Where's my interns? I'm going to get my interns to intervene and minister to her. Can't find them. 
I'm like, oh. she stands in front of me and she goes, you pray for me? And I'm like, yeah. On the, in, on the outside, I'm the man of power. And on the inside, I'm a man of flower. I tell you, there was nothing in there. My piece is already asleep on my pillow at the hotel. And I'm like, I just want out. Like, this is my internal process, right? I'm like, I feel like saying, can't you see I'm tired? I've got bags under my eyes. Like, come back another day. You know, it's like, no, when you begin to see them like God sees them, you have compassion upon them. Right? I'm thinking, oh, I know she's got problems. I can see that. Like, it didn't need much discernment, but it's like, how can I pray? She goes, I've got post-traumatic stress disorder. She said the worst 1% that they've ever seen in the United Kingdom. And I got a letter right here that says I need to be institutionalized because I'm a danger to society and myself. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to put on the brave front. I'm like, okay, is that all? Anything else? Yes, I got anorexia nervosa. I've got disassociate identity disorder. I've got body morphic disorder. I've been diagnosed as schizophrenic. She said, I've got a torn hip. And when I went to the doctor for an examination, he raped me on the table. And I'm involved in a civil case against him that's going through the courts currently that would see him unregistered and him pay compensation for what happened. She goes, Pastor, I'm a mess. And she said, and I'm suicidal. I have audible voices in my head every minute of every day. Kill yourself, kill yourself. She goes, can you do something? Right? And now, now back to my internal process. No. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. This is internally. I'm like, maybe tomorrow, but I'm too tired because my peace has gone to bed. I didn't say that. Of course I would never say that. And the Lord says to me, he says, your peace hasn't gone to bed because you and I are inseparable. Remember? He says, we're at union with one another. I don't leave when you are having a bad day. He said, do you remember John 14, 27? He says, do you remember the revelation I gave you of how to seal the, see the children with autism get healed? And then he says this to me, so heal her. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, Lord, right? Suddenly my, suddenly my peace came busting in the door and I jumped back inside and I'm like, all right, I'm a peace of God. It's not about how I feel. She stands in front of me. I put my hand upon her head and I say, her name is Beverly. And I say, Beverly, in the name of Jesus, I declare the shalom of heaven upon your head. I speak shalom that every bit of chaos in this body will be destroyed from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. And I silence every voice of the accuser that would say, kill yourself. And we declare wholeness from this day forward. Bless you. Good night. Hug her and I run out the door. Right? Jump in the car and I go to the bed. Right? I'm going to cut a long story really short now. Beverly was completely and totally healed on the spot. She goes back to the doctor. She Facebooks me. Right Now I'm Mr. Pastor. She Facebooks me two days later and she goes, I'm healed. And I'm like, well, don't stop taking your medication. Like, let the doctor tell you that. You know, like... You know, like, please, like, just go see the doctor if you think he healed. Like, I'm not telling you you healed. Go see the doctor. Man of great faith, you know. Go see the doctor. So she goes and sees the doctor and she Facebooks me back and she says, The doctor said. The doctor thinks I'm madder than ever. Because the doctor said you don't get healed of 
20 years of conditions like that by being prayed for like that. 20 years of inner healing. 20 years of professional healing. 20 years of counseling. Thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of, of, of government money spent on trying to get her healed. She said, you don't get healed like that. And she said, refer me to the head psychiatric doctor. I want a referral back to the doctor that gave me the letter because I'm going to show him that I'm healed because I'm at peace. Three months go by, she gets the appointment. The doctor writes me, the psychiatric doctor, and it says this, I reviewed Beverly today and Beverly is essentially back to her normal self. I cannot scientifically or medically explain what happened apart from that she got prayer at a healing conference in Reading. Beverly has been discharged from my clinic, but my door is always open should Beverly feel she needs to come back. See, Beverly today, she runs a ministry called Stall the Hunger. Ministering to young ladies with anorexia nervosa and disassociate identity disorder. And she sees them healed weekly. She's she's today, she's an itinerant minister that ministers around churches in the United Kingdom, ministering on mental health and ministering peace. And I'm like, Beverly, what what are you doing to get them healed? And she goes, I got the video of when you preached at my church on peace and I just sit them down, I play them the video, and then I walk around at the end of the class and I just go, my peace I give unto you, my peace I give unto you, and they just start getting healed. I tell you, that, that is a woman that understood that she's at peace with God, that the power of God lives in her, that she is not striving to get something she's already got. She's already got it. Let's stand together. I, I, we're gonna we're gonna do just we're gonna do a little. I, I want to do just. Can someone jump on the keyboard? Do we have a keyboard? Guitar. Someone can help me, or just. I, I want us to do just a very little practical exercise, and we'll be out of here in five minutes, right? I could turn this into a powerful ministry time, but you're hungry. I, I let's do this like. I, I know that there's people here. Right? I can see it on your faces. I, I'm not a great seer, but what I do see is your sickness. I, I can walk down the street and I can go, that person over there, they've got MS, that one's got Parkinson's, that one's got death, you know. You're going to see hearing aids, you know, that's just the way I see it. That one. That one's obviously got a cane, they need, you know, there's probably something wrong with their hips or their back. I mean, that's just the way I see That one there, so they've got some mental illness going on. That's just the way I see And I can look out here, and I've been looking out here, and I could almost go around and I could tap the ones on the head that are dealing with mental illness. Because that's the way I see. And I think there's people here, and I want to call these conditions out, and we're all going to do something together. But there's people here that are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. There's people with identity uh, disassociate identity disorder, autism, head and brain injuries, Asperger's, depression, I'm not talking that you're having a bad day. We all have those. I'm talking about having a bad life. Right? There's people with ADD, ADHD, incurable diseases, seizures, neurological disorders, anxiety. There's people here that have voices in their head that torment them in the night. 
suicidal voices. There's people here that can't even sleep at night. You get tormented in the night. My friend, nighttime is for sleeping, not for being tormented. It's where your body can sleep and it's your body can be made whole and your body can receive and your body can have visitations from the Lord. There's people here with schizophrenia, cancer. There's people here that can't have babies, bipolar. There's people that feel like you've got a spirit of death on you. There's people that feel like you've got a foreboding spirit on you. If you don't know what that is, it's like you're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. It's like, well, bring it on. Something else is about bad to happen. It's just like, I wonder what's next is going to slap me in the head. That's a foreboding spirit. There's people here, you're gripped in fear, anger, control, condemnation, guilt, shame, religion, offense, OCD. I tell you, you want to see the kingdom expand into your city? It actually starts right here. It starts right here. And I tell you, I'm coming to you from a place of compassion because my house was a house of chaos. My, my daughter, who's on the front page, she's the one on the cover, 23-year-old, non-verbal, in a wheelchair, severely Severely mentally and physically disabled. I lived my life in torment because I didn't know that I was at peace with God. My house is just like a happy house. Even when she's grumpy and she's sad, it's like the external circumstances are not going to steal my joy because the absence of the miracle doesn't define the nature of God. You guys okay? I I have lived through 23 years. I got a storm going on in my house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I got a storm that's constantly crashing my house. I hardly ever get a a full night's sleep because she has seizures. She needs to be woken up. She needs to be turned. She needs to be shifted. She needs to be changed. She, she just needs constant dealing with Sometimes I often, about twice a month, I do a 48-hour shift where I don't sleep for 48 hours because she keeps me up all night. But that doesn't steal my joy. That's not going to steal my peace because I'm so aware of the internal reality of the one that lives in me. I tell you, the enemy, the enemy wants to come and he wants to get at your head. I have so much compassion for people with chronic sickness and chronic pain. He is after your head. He is after your head that he will drive you to an end. Regardless of what I face, don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it steal your peace. I want you to position yourself. I want you to position yourself to take a step forward. Right? So step out of the row or, you know, just like... Position yourself so you can take a step forward wherever you're at. I'm sorry, we've gone a little over time. Just eat fast. See, Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, He says, Woman, He says, Your faith has made you whole. And He says, Go not in peace, go into peace and this afternoon 
We're going to take a, we're going to do something and it's going to be like a prophetic act of stepping out of your storm. Whatever it is you're facing. I, I'm not I'm not condemning you if you've got something mental going on in your head. I know what that's like. I had years of depression. And I got years of chaos running in my house. I know I know what it's like. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to try and help you and set you free. I don't suffer with all that now. It's still there. It's like, ah, just pull up my pillow, have a rest. Now I'm stealing my joy. So I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to say, and Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole, go into peace. And I want you to take a step forward when I say that. I want you to take a step forward as as a prophetic act of stepping out of your chaos and into the peace of God. And I want you to say this, I step into peace. Are you ready? And Jesus said to the woman of the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. Go into peace. I step into peace. Everyone take a step forward. Take a step forward. I just want you to put your hands in front of you. Like your little antennas. And just become aware of the peace that you already have with God. It's not something you need to try and get this morning. It's something you've already got. The question is, is what are you aware of? What are you aware of? My brother's just going to play here for a minute. and Just allow the peace of heaven. Allow the presence of heaven. Just to rest upon. Father, we thank you for your peace. Father, we thank you for your heart that you have towards us. Father, we just declare the shalom of heaven over people this morning. Thank you, God. Father, let the peace of heaven be. Father, let the peace of heaven reign in this precious one. Father, we just rebuke the storm. Father, we rebuke the storm and we say, Shalom, that the peace of heaven would rule. That the peace of heaven would rule upon you. God, we declare this is a new day. A new day of breakthrough. It's a new day. It's a new day. Thank you, Father. Hi, sweetie. How are you? we speak the peace of heaven over this precious one. Father, your grace would wash upon her. Father, we just rebuke the storm. Father, we call her into the destiny that you have planned for her. Father, we thank you for your great love for this precious one. 
And we sing peace. Peace, peace. You see angels around you. Wow. <coughs> pouring his love on us. That's awesome. Every time we do worship, you feel God pouring his love on us. Man, that's just awesome. Bless you. I, I just, we're going to close in prayer. I, I'm going to pray and I want you to, can you copy me? I want to lead you in a prayer. Are you ready, Heavenly Father? Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, today, I file divorce papers. I divorce fear. I divorce the spirit of chaos. I, I declare to you that I'm getting remarried. You're no longer my husband. You're no longer my wife. I'm marrying the Prince of Peace. From this day forward, I'm going to live in a new reality. That's that the Prince of Peace lives within me. Now put your hand down in front of you. One hand. Like you're going to open the door. Open the house door. Kick him out. Shut the door. And say, get out. It's a new day. Change the lock. He's not allowed back in, right? He's not allowed back in. Come on, somebody give a shout of freedom. Come on, someone say freedom. Someone say freedom. The Bible says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I tell you, I have such a passion to see us walk in wholeness and to us walk in power. But we will not do that until we start walking in freedom. And we start walking in peace. And we start walking in wholeness. Amen? Come on, someone say freedom. Thank you, God. Bless you, guys.